Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's show is sponsored by Big Sky Bravery. Big Sky Bravery provides strategic recreational programming to active duty special operations forces as a means to improve their psychological and emotional well-being. You can learn more about Big Sky Bravery. Heck, you can even donate to their cause at BigSkyBravery.org. And y'all know how important this mission is for me, a former Special Operations Green Beret that absolutely just loves that community. It's a great organization. I encourage you all to check them out. And if you enjoy this podcast and what we lay down here together with my guest, hey, check out more about me at courtwhitman.com. Now, for all new listeners that are out there today joining us for the very first time, let me talk a little bit about the intent of this show, Higher Performance Pathways. Here at this show, we are very much intentional. This is a purpose-built and specialty selection collection of people's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview, and then we share it with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance in their life. And hearing about the past that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it is inspiring. And because of that, as your host, it's my intent to do five things for you on this show. Number one, I'm going to connect. I'm going to connect you to someone else that you can intentionally build out your professional relationships. Number two, I'm going to ask questions so that together we can understand this person's experience. Number three, I'm going to share. I'm going to share my thoughts, my reactions to help raise your perspective based upon this sharing. Number four, I'm going to teach to increase your competence as a listener. And number five, I'm gonna inspire. Inspire to trigger your growth experience while listening to this show. One additional note to cover as you continue listening to this podcast, we are raw here on High Performance Pathways. That means there's absolutely no post-production editing. We record live and we deliver it to you exactly as it was recorded. All right, now, Let's get into what everyone is here for. Who's my guest? Who are we, who are we chatting with together today? It's an old friend. We're going back 22, 24 years here, y'all, together today on the show. And my guest is Romando Harrison. Where, you know, I call him Doe, and I'm going to use Doe. Doe, is that okay with you? That's Doe is great with me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Because that, that's the term of endearment that those that are close in that inner circle are able to refer this man as. So, Ramondo Doe, let me tell you a little about this incredible man before we get rolling here. Doe's into a bunch of different things. Uh, most importantly, uh, just graduated a real estate course and he's doing real estate out there in Arizona. But prior to that, he's dedicated most of his professional adult life to construction project management. With over 19 years of experience managing a whole bunch of different construction type projects, right, to include retail store remodels, base building infrastructure, office renovations, and HVAC projects. Romando is also incredibly active. I got to be honest, y'all, he's the man that turned me on to some day trading work and get involved in the stock market hustle. Doe absolutely loves that to the extent that I know he was just on there checking the market before we checked in for this show. And, you know, he'll talk more about this, but I believe that kind of real estate Uh, as a broker, as an investor, 
is an emerging interest that he has as he continues to build out kind of his entrepreneurial approach and the freedom that he just wants to embrace as he moves forward in his adult life. More importantly than all that, my man Romando is extremely passionate about, I'm going to quote here, living a healthy lifestyle by eating healthy to live, not living to eat, end quote. And I would say that you can't jump on my, my man's Instagram or Facebook and not find him working out somewhere. And I remember that going all the way back to college, my friend. We were dressed in the, in the freaking yellow shirts at VMI and the red shorts. And I could just, so many memories of us passing each other in the gym. Um, every day was arm day, y'all, for my man Doe uh, in the gym. <laughs> That's right, boy. <laughs> That's right. So, and even to this day, man, I mean, Ramondo will say that if he can't go 110% in the gym, he's not even going to go there because, you know, that just gives a little bit of insight to who this man is and kind of how he approaches life. He's going to hit it running. Um, if you haven't figured it out already, me and Ramondo went to VMI together. Uh, he studied civil engineering. I took a much easier path and studied political science. And Ramondo was a four-year baseball player for the Institute. Um, so, hey, brother, I'm so thankful for you checking in with us out of Arizona today to share your perspective on sport, what it was like playing college ball, um, what it's like to kind of study and commit yourself to civil engineering and construction. Because I'll tell you right now, man, that's a foreign field to me. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about some of the success and failure that you've had in life as well, because I think that's the, that's the breeding ground for high performance. I mean, I think everyone's path through high performance in their life in some way, mine especially, has to walk through the valleys of failure. And it's how we respond to that that really allows us to continue to learn uh, and thrive and grow, in my opinion. So, hey man, thanks for being with us, partner. Thank you. Thank you, Cord. That's a That was an awesome introduction. That was an awesome introduction, brother. I thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Um, I think what you're doing is wonderful, and uh, it's just a pleasure being on your show. And, yeah, man. Um, to, um, to just speak to, you know, yeah, to all of your listeners, uh, we did go to VMI and, uh, together and um, played baseball, and uh, it, was, it was there, man, where a lot of the – the um, just our, our 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 daily routine changed us um, okay. for for life for life you know waking up just waking up early <laughs> yeah man just waking up early you know I I don't know about you but I was not waking up that early um, in the mornings but it now my body just is programmed I just get up at four three thirty five just no alarm mm. well yeah. I would say that my body is absolutely programmed I think. <laughs> I would agree with you. I don't know that it was um, at, until college at that level. Uh, I was more, I mean, high school for me, I was just kind of bumping through high school, man. I was chasing women. I was playing sports, bro. There, there's the summary. Yeah. Uh, that's the summary for me, man. <laughs> uh, and, and if I had to get up early to do one of those two things, you better believe my tail was up early. But <laughs> other than that, man, you know, um, it was absolutely that VMI experience that helped me begin to settle into a word I'll use here, which is the habits. The habits yeah. that have allowed me as I move forward to uh, perform 
at my very best. And we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but before we do, man, um, first of all, at any point in the show, I would love for you, uh, if, if the spirit moves you, boss, you can definitely roast me, right? I don't have a lot of folks that come on the show that know me um, and, and to the level that we do. So the invitation's open, my friend, to go there. But, uh, you know, as we start this conversation together, um, I would just love for the listeners to begin to get a bit more insight into you as a young man. Um, so we want to talk childhood. I mean, I know family's mm-hmm. important to you, but I want the listeners to hear about it. So if you could, man, um, what was it like growing up in the Harrison home? And specifically, um, if you can remember, who may have been some of your earliest role models or a mentor or just someone in your life whether you knew them or you know them from TV or the movies that really inspired you to imitate or walk down a certain road with your young adult life. It has been, uh, growing up in Virginia beach court, it was, um, I'm not sure. Well, you're in Carolina, I believe, but Virginia beach is a heavy, heavy sports, um, town. Um, a lot of colleges recruit in Virginia Beach in the Hampton Roads area, uh, Chesapeake, Norfolk. So growing up in Virginia Beach, our parents put us, you know, right in sports. My dad was like, hey, you got to play something. Um, I grew up with my mom and dad. I'm very fortunate to have um, my mom and dad uh, were married for 44 years. Yeah, 44 years, man. And that's, I don't take that. I do not take that for granted at all, Court. It's just, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. And that's that's unheard of today to have, to hear of a couple being married for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or so years. So um, yeah, man. that's and, first and, and foremost. And let me just interrupt you here. I'm just curious. 44 mm-hmm. years, man, is a pull, brother. It's a long time, like you yeah. said. Were you, were you the only child or did you have siblings? I had a sibling. Okay. I actually asked well, my brother <laughs> at four years old, <laughs> I asked for, uh, my parents were living in an apartment and, uh, they would play with me. I was playing with these sets of twins across the complex from me. And at the end of the day, you know, we would go inside and I would still see them playing and they were brothers. And I kept, yeah. I just started asking about, I just started asking for a brother, asking for a brother, asking for a brother. And finally, my mom and dad was like, look, you know, we we can't, <laughs> obviously, we're not cutting it. So my brother popped out, <laughs> and uh, we're five years apart, you know, here he is. And so, yeah, but I, I do have a brother. We're five years apart, and uh, he currently lives in, um, right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. What's his name, man? His name is Jason. So I was, I named him J- uh, Michael. I like Mike because of you know, I don't know if you remember the commercials, um, Be Like Mike or you kidding Mikey me? Likes It. You, ever, you remember you Mikey Likes It, the commercial? Mikey Likes It, yeah, Mikey Mike, Likes Mikey It. Like, Mike, Mike, yeah, Mikey Likes It. So I like Mike, and my mom liked Jason. So we named him Michael Jason Harrison. And um, my brother's doing really well. He has three boys, um, 18, 16, and 14. Uh, the oldest is at VCU in college, first year in college, and um, he has a daughter as well. So I'm a proud uncle, very yeah, proud man. uncle. My brother, he's uh, he's hustling, man. He's, he's, he's good. He's a good dad. He's worked for UPS. 
He's been with UPS for 17 years. He's now he was a package driver in the Arlington, Virginia area, and um, he's now I think it was when you get your truck license, a CD, CDC or not CDC. It's a I forgot what the license acronym is, but he received his license and now he's driving all the way across the country, mm-hmm. the huge rigs. So I'm proud of him, man. He's doing extremely well for himself. Uh, he remarried and uh, he's doing awesome. Yeah, man. Shout out to Jason, brother. So, what we call yeah, or, or Michael, depending on if, Michael. Yeah, they him call him MJ. <laughs> <laughs> they call him MJ. So, um, so growing, so so growing up in Virginia Beach, it was my brother and I, and my dad and my mom, and I don't know if I, for the listeners, my parents were educators. My dad was a teacher and later quickly became a principal, and the majority of his uh, career, he was a principal and he became a superintendent in Norfolk Public School Systems, and um, which is just adjacent to Virginia Beach. And my mother retired as a second grade school teacher, which is also, a J- they call it seven cities, um, and Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, you can get to each city within 10, 15 minutes. So growing up for us, man, you know, we, we had to do well in school. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we, we had to do well in school. We were going to perform. My dad was, you know, uh, coming home and he was dealing with kids all day. And then he had to deal with my brother and I, and he used to get ulcers. I remember him getting the stomach ulcer because of the stress. And, <laughs> and, you know, we were acting like little rugrats. And my mom, you know, bless her heart, she was um, – going to, she was teaching summer school to try to make some ends meet, um, and we stayed in a section of Virginia Beach called Windsor Oaks um, for about five years, and then, you know, my parents started doing, they lived within their means. This was back in the early, this was back in the mid-80s, okay, and um, where, you know, they also put themselves back, they went back to school and received their master's at Mm. Norfolk State. Norfolk State University. So not only were they received the undergrad, but they received their master's degree and that's what propelled their career. So that obviously um, was inspiring for my brother and I, because we're watching my parents do this while they work, raise us and go back to school in their late thirties. And then um, we moved and um, I went to, um, a different, we moved right when I was in middle school. Um, and so I finished out um, my last year in middle school and I went to a um, new, fairly new high school called Salem High School. And um, we were, my brother and I both were playing baseball and mm. we were we were tearing the newspapers up. Man, my dad actually just showed me, he was FaceTiming me last week and he was like, look at these old clippings. And there were just articles after articles of me and my brother in the newspaper in the Virginia Pilot. Um, so I, I think it's safe to say that obviously my father has been a huge inspiration um, to me. And he has been my brother and I, our leader. Um, it was very traditional style home. I mean, mom, you know, used to raise hell with us. Mom was the queen. You know what I mean? I mean, mom, mom, mom liked her house a certain way. Don't lay on the pillows, boy. You know, don't lay on the pillows. 
You know? Yeah. Don't let him you know? But we would come home, he's like, my dad was like, do you love to hear your mama's mouth? Pick these clothes up off the floor, you know? So it was it was like the Cosby show, man. It was it was like the Hux, the Huxtables. And, uh, you know, we, we used to have family forums. My parents didn't... Um, didn't really argue in front of us. Uh, I know they had some, they, they would have adult conversations when they had their differences, but for the most part, um, the majority of the time, man, we, um, you know, we, we grew up with an extremely tight-knit family, immediate family. Um, and my, my father never missed a, a baseball game. He never yeah. missed a basketball game. He never missed a football game. You know, Jason was playing. He never missed. It was at one point he was going to one game, staying a couple of innings, and then going to drive to see my brother play. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was doing just the opposite. She was switching back and forth. He had the big VHS camcorder. He had to take one out and put the VH, a new VHS cassette in and record Jason. So Dang it was that's – that's what, that's, what that's, that's what I grew up with. And um, – that's tough because times have changed now. You know, times have changed so much. But my, my parents were a huge part of my brother, um, our life growing up. Um, and I would say my godfather, there were some other um, people in our lives. Um, my godfather, who was my dad's frat brother, um, he was a coach at Norfolk State. Norfolk State is a um, HSBC, H. BCU Historical Black College in Norfolk, and um, he was the winningest coach in Norfolk. Um, mm. As a matter of fact, Harrison B. Wilson was the pre- president there at that, at that college, and that's um, Russell Wilson's um, grandfather. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so the football stadium is named after my godfather, William Dick Price. Um mm. So I also looked up to him, and I had I come from just a a family of I think my father was the first person to in his family to receive his education, my mom as well. So first generation college grads, and um, my parents did a good job of surrounding themselves around educated folks as well. So and my brother and I kind of we kind of took that with us. Man, what an incredible reflection, dude. So much to that. And I'm just struck by family as I listen to you and how formative it was for you in your life uh, growing up as a, as a kid, absolutely. And then we'll even extend that to young adult. As in my opinion, you kind of capped out that relationship on or about your high school years. Um, and so I just want to, in this moment, man, want to make a shout out to teachers, right? If you're listening to the show right now and you're teaching, hey, man, we salute you. I salute you. Um, and I'll tell you why, because we're recording this show on July 16th of 2020. And I'm in the, everyone on July 16th, 2020 that has children. And, and though I know that you don't yet, um, mm-hmm. but your brother does, MJ does. And, uh, Right now, we're trying to figure out what the fall is going to look like, man. And the governor of North Carolina just approved what we call a a go-to-back-school model where you could either take this thing we're calling the private online virtual academy or you can do half remote learning, half in-school learning. Good gracious, man, America, we're just trying to figure it out. 
And you teachers out there are having to be incredibly creative. So shout out to the teachers, shout out to your parents who were teachers and the way they inspired and informed, you know, kind of your life and that early decision-making. Um, and, and I want to extend that absolutely to anybody out there that's parenting kids right now. Um, yes. Shout freaking out to you. Uh, so let's continue here, man. Let's, let's talk more about sport. You introduced this incredible story of your parents, man. Now, I've never heard a story like this before, although I could probably see my parents doing this. I'm the oldest of five, and we all were freaking playing something all the time. And, you know, there's 17 years between my youngest brother and me, so we're spread the heck out. Um, but, you know, four innings, watching you, dad's watching, recording, then high-fiving mom, she rolls in on the, on the top of the fifth, and then he's going to the game. That's just incredible commitment, man, to be present yeah. in the lives of children and to capture kind of what you're doing because my guess is that was to kind of represent you to colleges, which was probably important for your family so y'all could get some looks. So let's talk about college baseball, man, um, and some yeah. of your earliest memories of sport beyond what you've already shared. So in this question here, I would love just to learn, was it only baseball for you? I mean, you mentioned football in passing with your intro there. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's my question really is what are your earliest memories of sport and what sports did you play? And as you think about that, I'm really curious, what did you learn about leadership from being a competitive athlete? Mm. That's a, that's okay. You hit me with three questions in one there, big guy. So I'm going to, I know I'm I do that sometimes. To, yeah, <laughs> that was smooth. That was smooth. All right. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to break it down. So, um, yes, we did. My brother and I did play other sports. We did play was football. We both were quarterbacks in high school. Mm. Um, my brother did very well. He was right behind me. Um, at the middle school, and I played at Salem High School um, starters. Um, and I, I take for granted that we both, my brother and I both, we played Division One baseball and received scholarships. And that is hmm, not I didn't everyone. Know that. Not everyone did that. And so when I, I say, uh, we, you know, we we play college baseball, and and, and then people ask me, well. Was it Division Two, II, Division Three? And I said, No, it was D One. It was like, Oh, yeah. you played Division One, you know. So that it's it's a it's an accomplishment. And my brother, um, he went to Norfolk State and played. And like I said earlier, Virginia Beach has a, I mean, just it's a haven of athletes down there. They're just brewing. I can just name some of the few that have come out of the Hampton Roads area, but he went to a school where they were just heavily recruiting baseball players. And he tried out for, I believe the Atlanta Braves the scout came <laughs> and my brother tried out and he did everything on point. He ran 40, he threw awesome. But when he came to hitting the scout could tell that um, he wasn't swinging and my brother was injured. He had jammed his finger and he had a $5,000, check in his back pocket to sign my brother. So, um, but, you know, life happened. My brother, he had a baby next year, and um, that's, that. you know, that was that. But um, we both played football. 
um, we both played baseball, and um, we had a love for football. I mean, for uh, baseball, and so we decided to play college baseball on. Um, and at VMI, the I think the first time for me as the older kid, the first time I had to overcome some type of uh, adversity was going to VMI. And I really? say that because, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. For me, it was the first time I had, I experienced resilience, the first time I actually rebelled, the first time it was, and I don't share this with a lot of folks, but it was because my parents went to co-ed schools. Mm-hmm. My mom went to Hampton, Hampton Univer- Institute when it was an institute. Um, now it's Hampton University. My dad went to St. Augustine down in North Carolina in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, and they fin- they both got their master's at Norfolk State. So, And my dad, I left this out, he was an Omega. He was a Q yeah. um, in a fraternity. So he had his frat brother. So that's what we grew up going to. Norfolk State's homecomings and Howard homecomings. I know you've heard of these HBCU homecomings and, oh. and, the, and the, the halftime shows. That's what I, I grew up going to those and watching my godfather coach Norfolk State. Yeah. So, you, so that's, what, that's what I was looking forward to when college is the best four years of your life. And then when VMI started recruiting me and they gave me a scholarship, my dad said, that's where you're going. Hold on, man. Hold on for a second. You mean to tell me that our VMI band was not like Howard's during halftime? No. <laughs> no, nah. nah, it wasn't. Not quite. Not quite. No. We were doing push up. <laughs> no, bro. Not quite not at quite. all. Like, you know, first no. of all, um, yeah, man. Uh, I love it. Uh, continue, yeah. brother. Please. Please. Okay. So, so I, I I paint this picture because I I I said VMI okay and keep in mind you were spot on you're ex- a part of being a good leader for everyone listening is listening <laughs> and you nailed it on the head you you said your dad was recording one son and he went and recorded another kid and then you said you probably made tapes and videos, and that's exactly what my father did. We put a uh, highlight reel together for me at the time. We were talking about VHS, and we sent it off to colleges. And Howard gave me a full scholarship, Mm. (laughs) full scholarship to play baseball. And my father said, nope, I want something a little bit better for you. Really? Yep, I want you to go to VMI. And that was... Um, and of course, you know, my mom, uh, she supported that. And, um, I went and, um, I had another John Devlin was going to, he was a year older than me. Um, but he went to the same high school I went to and he went to VMI. And so I went for a visit and I had a couple of it was obviously because it's it's local, and uh, there was some more. Um, they VMI did a the, the the coach did a really good job of linking me up with other uh, Virginia hometown boys that were going there, and um, a couple were in Chesapeake, and so I went for a visit, and I went, 
I went. Now it was not it was not what I was expecting. You know, it it was not the college that my parents had told me about and my their friends, you know, and when I was going to all these football games and seeing, you know, the football game, it wasn't that. <laughs> so my first year, um I you know, it was it was different, but I, I made the best of it. I remember my grandmother and my mom's mom saying, hey, go to school. College is what you make. And I said, okay, I'm going to make the best of it. And um, so my first year playing, um, I I did well, but it wasn't – I was somewhat going through the motions a little mm-hmm. bit. And my second year at VMI, I still started. I played baseball, um, but – what I didn't know, I look back now, is the the practice, the waking up in the morning, the going to formation, going to um, putting my uniform on. What was what was ironic was I had never been in any ROTC or anything like that, but the guys there said, Harrison, you know, my, my, my corporal was like, Harrison, have you, are you prior military? And I was like, no. I was like, man, you're locked and caught. You shined and... You know, you got your gig line, your hit, your trim. I said, "Where, where's you from?" I said, "My dad just took care of business at home." <laughs> so my parents, you know, my parents just were disciplined. You know what I mean? So it, it was just they were disciplined. My, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have my first drink until VMI. I didn't go to parties. I didn't, you know, my, my parents, they came home, they didn't travel. I did my schoolwork, and I practiced. You know, yeah. just like you, you sent me those pictures. I can relate to them. You know, that's a nice batting cage in the backyard. That's what I, that's what Dad was doing with my brother and I on the weekends. We were hitting baseballs. We yeah. were throwing the football. You know, so I didn't. What I didn't know was he was already disciplining me, and my mother as well, um, and it prepared me for VMI. Um, the one. The, <laughs> The part that I wasn't prepared for was when I decided to leave VMI and say, hey, this place isn't for me, and I'm going to go somewhere else after mm-hmm. my second year. And um, that's when, you know, I hit my first little valley, uh, and I, I, I came back home, and I kind of rebelled. That's where the rebellion came in. I said, you know, I couldn't see why I was going there. Mm-hmm. And, um and I stayed at home. I still stayed. I took a course. I basically flunked out on purpose. I didn't. My third class year, I my grades were horrible, and I was just going through the motions. And I said, I can't believe, you know, I would, we would play at Appalachian State, and my best friend played football there. And I saw, you know, the fun that he was having. And I said, here I am at VMI, in barracks, in a uniform, no women, you know, it's strict and no fraternity like my father or my mother. Why am I here? So I couldn't see why I was there until I left, came back home, and um, I went to Tidewater Community College. I was taking some courses there, and I, I slowly picked my GPA up, and um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready the first year. And so the second year, um, and I worked, and I was at home, and, my, and you know, we <laughs> we come from uh, a strong Christian background. So what what happened? 
my mom and my grandmother started praying. Yeah. <laughs> they started praying and, and started praying and say, get this boy back on track and I hope he goes back to school. Hope. So they didn't put, they could see that they sort of pushed me to go to VMI. It wasn't my decision. It was my parents' decision. Yeah. And um, I needed to go there for me. You know, I could only I could only see the benefit of my for my parents. I think my third class year, two two quick stories. I felt like I was going to VMI for my parents and not for myself. And here's why: my dad went out bowling with his um, principals one one evening, and uh, he does not drink at all. My dad's not a heavy drinker, so one or two, he well he's ripped, <laughs> and he was driving home <laughs> he was driving home this happened in Virginia Beach he was driving home from the bowling alley with his principals and the cop pulled him over and said hey you know I, I noticed you didn't put your signal on or and this was back in 94 yeah. okay um, with all the arrests going on now this is back in 94 but he had the VMI sticker on the wagon and the cop says hey I see you're part of the VMI family is your son at home he said, yes. He said, tell your son and your wife to come pick you up. I'll stay here, um, and they can drive your car home. He did not get a DUI. He didn't get a ticket. Nothing. Mm. Similar story happened with my mom. She broke down on the freeway. Cop pulled over. Uh, no, not, it wasn't a cop this time. It was a, another uh, alumni. Pulled over. He saw the VMI sticker and mm. said, hello, ma'am. He introduced himself. Hello, ma'am. You know, do you have a son or your husband go to VMI? Yes, my my son is there. He was like, "Well, may I help you? Um, can I can I give you a ride?" He gave my mom a ride all the way to the local gas station. Called my dad to come pick her up. Stayed there until my dad picked her up. So my parents, you know, parents always know best, right? Parents, my parents knew how strong the network was in Virginia and across the country, but I, I didn't, I didn't. And I just felt at that time, I was like, I'm going to school for my mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> so I rebelled and, and it wasn't until the second year um, I was down at Virginia Beach going to try to communicate. I, I did, I got another question to me and one guy saw me, he said, Hey man, he was like, didn't you play baseball at Salem? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, you know, I'm, I was playing, and I want to go to college, and I want to go to schooling. And he basically, in so many words, said, I wish I could play D1 ball. And here I was, at, and that's when the light bulb started to kick on. And I could appreciate Division One baseball, my scholarship, VMI. And I said, you know what, I'm not a quitter because I was already – I was just figuring things out. I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go to Old Dominion, um, transfer. I had to transfer all my credits and then take some more course, repeat. But I said, you know what, let me just finish the school. And so I put my game face on, and my mom said, a light bulb just went off, and you picked your GPA back up. You were reapplied without my parents helping, helping me, and um, I went back and I finished. And um, that's the first – I would say that was the first uh, valley for me where I had to, I was knocked down and I was back up. 
Yeah, man, what what a wonderful story, though, as you walk through that, man, because I think everybody listening can identify with your story. We all have our own, and it's different, um, but we can all identify with a point in life where in order for me to really excel, in order for me to perform at a high level, I got to be bought in. And I don't know that you've used those words. You talked about, hey, I went there for my parents, which let's be honest, I think that a lot of people do make decisions in life, especially at maybe our younger ages, because it's what our parents want us to do. And that has an impact, although for you it wasn't lasting. But the point at which we become bought in, oh man, it's on. It's on, right. Right. So, you know, I would just say, you know, for parents listening and I'm, I'm rolling myself into this, this learning in this moment, because I've got an 11 year old daughter and she's incredible and a nine year old son and he's incredible and I'm in their tail. You know, I, I, I'm not in their tail to exploit the point that, Hey boy, get your, get your tail off that couch. Those are pillows, but don't think there's things to lay on like you talked about in your family, mm-hmm. but I'm in my kid's tail because I want so much for them. Right. And I, and I understand what it takes to find the success that I want for them academically, socially, emotionally, with their walk with Christ, and on, on the athletic field as a competitor, because they both play sports. But they've got right. to buy in, man. Right? They've got to buy in. Yeah. And, 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 and you bring up a really, yes, you're speaking as a dad now. Absolutely. I am. And, as 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 a father or mother listening, my brother is a is a is a dad, and I'm an uncle. You have to approach your kids differently. They're they're not all the same, right? Sure. And I think as I talk about this to, with you, it's the first time where I I just now realize that I push back. <laughs> At my parents, no. and I, I right now, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, well, it, I, I just, I just right now, it, it was because now everything, you know, as we'll get into it a little bit later, my parents, you know, later turned to me for help. Yeah. As 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 I got older, as they got older, and started coming to me, I can speak to that a little bit more. But I can, you know, I make my. And they know me now. They they call me Commando. <laughs> yeah, they do. My sister in law calls me Commando because I just tell it like it is. You may not yeah, man, like hold, it. Hold. I gotta <laughs> hear. The, I gotta hear the Commando story, man. Let's. Where, where is the birthplace that Commando? <laughs> my sister in law, my brother. What, what's her my name? Brothers. Her name is Octavia. <laughs> Octavia. Shout out to Octavia because I love the commando. Yes. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she she calls me commando, and now my dad calls me commando, and uh, my brother, and she does as well. But uh, it's it's the first time, you know, I, where I I said no. I'm I'm going to I follow my parents' guidance, but I also, like you said, I had to buy in. You know, I had to go back to VMI and finish. And I said, you know, I'm not a quitter because my father and my mom never raised my brother and I to quit. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I had no other choice 
they they steered me in the right direction, and I just had to go back for myself. And when I went back, man, you know, I I, I think it was it was awesome because everything happens for a reason. I've made some of the best relationships, not even within my class, but with your class. <laughs> yeah, with your class. So um, it 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 basically um, at a when I went back to VMI and I finished up, everything just kind of fell into place. And I finished up. It was tough. I didn't – I played my first year back, but then I said, you know what, I didn't play my last year, and I just focused on my grades. And yeah. um, let's get out of there. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you, you weren't studying art, right? I mean, civil engineering. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I am just blown away. I would say that I know so many of my close friends – that are athletes that studied civil engineering. And I, where did that influence come from, man? Because it, it never was a part of, of what I was thinking. But I'm talking, you know, right. I'm thinking Dre Thornton. I'm thinking T-Bird. I'm thinking yeah. you. I'm thinking there are so many black athletes that are studying the hardest curriculum at VMI. Mm -hmm. So can you comment on that for a second, man, where that came from? And where that inspiration Absolutely. you came from, because it, your parents were educators, and that may have been there, mm -hmm. but it seems to me, outside looking in, very foreign. Right. It, no, that's a great question, and I and I talked to some of the boys about this. Um, it I always was a stronger math student, mm -hmm. and so math and science were. I was I was stronger in those subjects, and. Um, I was initially interested in architecture, but VMI didn't have that. So the next best was engineering. And, um, and I do not think at that time in 93, okay, um, in the early 90s, you had a lot of um, black families, African-American families, directing their their kids to go to college and study politics, okay, or economics. They were saying go to school to be an engineer or yeah. go to school to be a doctor, go to school to be a lawyer. And so those, you know, because we didn't have that many, Barack wasn't around. Barack yeah. wasn't, I don't, I'm not sure Barack was in the, Senate at that time. He may have been at Harvard still getting his degree, but, you know, it was not that, there were not that many political black leaders. I mean, you had Colin Powell on the verge, um, you know, of, of him went in the Bush administration. But my point is, I think as a, as a culture, um, African-American families at that time were telling their kids to, hey, engineering, go to school to become an engineer or a computer um, science because they knew that that was, that was concrete. You could get a job. You know, that's the goal. Go to college, get a job. Go to college, sure. get a job. Um, and you're qualified. Um, so that was um, – I liked civil engineering. I always liked um, – I enjoyed bridges, building design. I was building stuff, you know, with Lego blocks and <laughs> from an early age and – always enjoyed working with my hands and so that's why I chose civil engineering. Now I was I wasn't at many there wasn't at many um 
of the boys in civil, most of them chose mechanical, like Dre and Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then some chose electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the pillow stone for why um, we chose engineering because we, it was almost guaranteed that we were going to receive a job qualified. Yeah, man. Well, what a great thing to share right here. I think it still applies today. Anybody listening, if you're college bound, heck, if you're college complete and you're wondering why the heck you can't find a great landing spot in the job market, um, you know, or if you're a parent with some kids that are coming up and looking at college, yeah, it's a social experience. Maybe it's a crazy one if you're talking to a guy like me and Doe who went to VMI, um, you know, because it was not Howard. Uh, uh, or or right. these other uh, other experiences, or, or Fayetteville State University, which is mm-hmm. another historical black college here, right around the corner from mm-hmm. me. Um, but encourage them, kids, man, uh, to be very targeted in a trade and something that can get them right into the job market afterwards. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you've done professionally. But what I want to do is just marinate here on family. Um, it's incredibly clear to me and what you've shared with us to date in the show that it's really important to you. You talked a lot about you and your brother's relationship. You talked about being an uncle to the four kids that he has, um, or three, I think, 18, 16, and 14. Um, your relationship with your parents and, you know, your relationship with God, to be honest, that you've already touched on. Um, and I also know that, uh, you know, you're no stranger to struggle to discomfort and the loss when it comes to the family. Um, and, you know, and for me, you know, it's in my moments of loss and in my moments of discomfort or setback as I've gotten older that I'm able to intentionally reflect, you know, why this happened, reevaluate, and then maybe set a course to move out on as I move forward in life. And so for you, man, I'm curious, man, I know you lost your mom to cancer unexpectedly last year. And if you're comfortable, I would love for you just to maybe share with the listeners, because everyone has, if it's not cancer, something that's going on in their life that was unexpected and that's creating discomfort and it's creating setback. It could be personal, it could be professional, but I'm curious, man, and you for your reflection here, how did that impact you emotionally as a son that lost your mom at a young age, in my opinion? So that's the first part. I'm hitting you with multiple questions again here, brother. Mm-hmm. Second part mm-hmm. is, is how did you deal with this loss, right? And the third part is, in what way, if any, has this impacted your future decision-making? Follow me? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, you, you put it perfectly. So... It, how did it impact me? Let's take that one first. It impacted me just like I was 12 years old. Just like she had just dropped me off at my baseball practice and mom's not picking you up. And why? Because she just passed. That's mm-hmm. how it hit. And um, I know we're fast forwarding to, to 2019 right now, but I'll, I'll just, to, to give you an understanding and answer your question, I think you can better understand. So when I left VMI, I um, went to go work for um, a consulting firm. And uh, right during the early 2000s, 
And after 9-11 hit, all of our work came to a cease. And I was like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm twiddling my thumbs where, you know, the next engineer out of school, he's doing something or he, he or she is doing something. I'm not. So I left. I jumped ship. I left and I was, my entire career, I was always trying to, I mean, we're talking about high performance. I was always trying to advance my career. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked at the Navy for the Navy for four years, which was an awesome job. We can touch on that later. I left there. Then I worked for the Office of Inspector General for seven years. I actually had my own consulting firm, one-man show. So I was always, you know, thriving, and I hit a low point where I I was looking for a job, and then, boom, I worked for the Gap, and the Gap opened up because I wanted to switch industries. So I was always thriving to advance my career. And I was mostly in the Washington, D.C. area, okay? Um, so I was close, still close to mom and dad. You know, I would go home on the weekend, see them. Um, they would come up. Um, and, you know, it was – we're still close, extremely close. But it wasn't until I moved to Arizona um, was the first time where I said, Mom, you know, um, I'm leaving for the girl. I have to cut the cord from you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had that talk. <laughs> I had uh, tears started flowing from her, and I was like, oh, boy. So, um, and at that time, you know, that I, it was it was a big deal because we were so close. Um, but I moved, and I started working out here, and because um, I wanted to switch industries. I was tired of working for the government, and um, – they had somewhat labeled. I mean, you've you've heard this. It's a it's a negative stigma that government workers are lazy, <laughs> and I didn't fall into that category at all. And so I had to create my. I built a website, branded myself, and just hopped on LinkedIn and started building my. And boom, I worked at PetSmart. Um, they hired me, and now I'm at Intel. But. Um, so I say all of this because I've always been chasing and trying to advance my career. And when my mom was sick last year, she informed us right around February. Um, and uh, she, she informed my brother and I, and, um, you know, I, I, at first, you know, we already have a father who's, taking chemo once a month for pancreatic cancer, but he's been taking chemo for the past eight years. But my mom was like, whoa, you know, what's, what's going on? She says, I have breast cancer. And um, it's, I said, well, you know, this was in February. And I said, listen, I'm coming home. She said, no, don't come home. Everything's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing your, your dad's doctor right around the corner uh, from the house. And, um, I said, okay. And so I noticed that the time I would call home court, she was just kind of blowing it off. And uh, you don't need to come home. It's, everything is fine. I'm, I'm on medication. And I said, okay. And uh, so I said, what is the prognosis? You know, what, what's, what is, what's the status? What's the game plan? You know, like that. Dad had his prostate room. You know, what, what's the game plan? You know, so all these – I say that now because I'm going to come back and I say all those years of project management, I'm saying, okay, hey, 
what's the plan? What's the programming? <laughs> what's, your, what's, what's the problem statement? You know, how are we going to resolve this? You know, and that's what we did with my dad. I can talk to that later. But my mom, um, she didn't share that. My mom did a really good job of uh, – she knew she was sick. She knew she was sick before this even happened, before she informed us. She, she knew that she was sick. And um, by the time March, I think, you know, February, March – Mother's Day is in April, no, May, I believe. May. And, uh, yeah, I came home in May, and I told my manager at Intel, I said, look, he knew my dad was sick, but he didn't know. My, I said, listen, my mom has breast cancer. He was like, oh. I said, can I go work from home for a week? He's like, sure, go. And I came home, and my, my main goal of coming home, flying back home to Virginia Beach, was to go to the doctor and find out, What's going on? What's the status? Are we going to remove the breast? You know, what what are we doing? And my mom said, she's not there. She's on vacation. Just what are you going to do? She just kind of blew it off, and, and, and I went with it. She did a very good job of there's no need to go to the Dr. Raimondo. I'm, I'm okay. The doctor's out of town right now. Um, she has found out that I'm, I'm on a new um, drug. Um, prescription that they're giving me, and I just said, okay. I just, I just trusted my mom. I said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna battle through this, <laughs> just like yeah. we did dad. And um, July first was her birthday, and that's when my dad, you know, I called home. My brother called home. We didn't hear from either one, and that's when my dad found her on the floor, you know, um, and she was, she was just on the floor in pain, and uh, she went to the hospital on July 1st on her birthday, and Mm -hmm. she never returned home. She passed on July the 28th, and so that pace, you know, my brother and I went home. I said, look, we have to go home on the 4th. We spent the 4th of July, you know, we were supposed to be at our families, having some beers and having a good time. We were at home at the hospital on the fourth, and for two weeks, and then we had to come back. Um, it, I, I flew the when I was in flight. My brother texted me and said, "Mom passed," and so because um, he was at home, we took turns. I and and so. He went home. He had to take off from work, and, you know, it was right at the time where Jason had received his license. He was driving across the country, but I said, hey, this is this is bomb. And so um, it was it was busy. It, it, it was it was just like a blow, like a it, – it, it still has not hit me. It, it, it has not hit me because here's what happened. It was like my mom had everything organized, Court. I mean, she's a school teacher, okay? When I tell you, I touched on it, I was laughing. You know, my dad, she kept her house immaculate. <laughs> immaculate. I mean, pillows were in, in place, drapes were, you know, draped. Why are you open the window and don't do that? And But she <laughs> later, you know, <laughs> reserved herself and she – that was when we were home, but when we come home, she's like, hey, enjoy the house, you know, where you want to go, and I, we used to tease her and be like, 
you're not cooking for me, but when Jason comes home, the baby, she's cooking lasagna and stuff, <laughs> and boys, her grandkids, you know, the grandkids come home, you know, she's cooking in the kitchen. Hell, but when my ass come home, here, here's some money. You can go out, let's go out to dinner. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, it was, it was, it was, it was all love. But when my mom, uh, she, she was very organized. I mean, down to everything. You can go in her office, which the, her office was my bedroom. <laughs> she had turned my bedroom to her office with her computer and everything. I bought her computer from Intel with my discount, and she loved it. She had a printer in there. She had every bill, old school, printed out. She loved the computer. She knew she could keep it on the computer, but she wanted to print it out, file it away. Um, and when I came home, she had left us a note. She left me a note, my brother and I. Um, hey, guys, if you're home, please help your dad out. Um, here's the password and username to the account. Here's the checking account. If there's not enough in checking, just transfer it from the savings account. Here's a little smaller account I've been keeping on the side. That's Skittles, our Beagle's name, our username. She knew she was sick. She had this printed out court prior to July 1st, okay? And when I read it, it was almost like a movie, man, and I just said, oh, mom was sick, and she just didn't, she didn't want to share it. And so how, I, how it impacted me, it, it impacted me like it was, I think I may have cried twice, but the weirdest thing was, it was like the spirit came over me and I became the mom of the family. I planned the funeral. I planned my dad. I, I had to call and talk to um, the insurance companies. I had to close this account. I had to transfer everything over into my dad's account I, because my dad is hard of hearing. My mom was taking care of my dad, and she would joke. She used to joke with me and say, I can't, you know, I tell you, I, we bought these hearing aids for your daddy, and he still got the TV loud as I don't know what, and he can't hear Ramondo. I tell you, you just don't know what I'm going through. So she was taking care of my dad and yeah. supporting him, and she didn't want to, she said, you know, I just can't do it. Um, can't do both. And uh, she was a spiritual, strong spiritual woman, and I knew that she was, she was ready. Yeah. She was ready. And, um, and that hasn't, it has not, taking care of my father now is my job, okay? And that is, I, I gave you that prelude of me always chasing and trying to advance in my career because now my life has changed. I am, everything that I do, my becoming a realtor, it's because of my dad and my nephews and taking care of my family trying to get back to virginia beach i'm assuming is that right or am i incorrect there it, it's it's trying to work life balance brother got you. get back more get back more yes absolutely to get back more absolutely and um it, it's 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 tough um but i'm doing it it's just been a blessing it's been a blessing i am my dad he's he i ordered him new hearing aids I keep track of his, um, I refinanced his house for him. We're getting ready to close, and 
couple of weeks. Um, he has a, he's on a conventional loan now. My brother now on title. Um, I saved him four hundred bucks a month. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, his his Centera uh, Hospital contacts me for his appointments. Uh, he's receiving his new hearing aids. So I'm managing him from Arizona, and he is. I have his account. I know how much money is in his account. I, if he needs to transfer money, he has plenty of money in the account. Um, my parents live within their means, uh, so he's getting his Virginia retirement check. He's getting Social Security. Um, but I am. I had to step up to take care of him, and yeah. also step up to take care of my brother, and also step up to be the stronger emotional figure for yeah. both my dad and my brother. And that was that was that was tough, bro. I was like, what about me? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. So 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 that's where um that's where I just I just keep going and that's where my faith and faith in God comes in, man. It just kicks in and uh I just have faith that, you know, it's gonna hit me. It's gonna hit me one of these days, but right now I just I just focus on my family. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for sharing that. There's a couple things that resonated with me um, that I wrote down as I listened to the story with you and as you reflected on the incredible ambition you had professionally um, that took you away from the home and then the loss of your mom and now as moving forward, how it's impacting your ambition and your decision-making professionally to kind of be home more often for your dad. Um, and the fact that you're the primary caretaker. So, so, so here's what's resonating with me. <clears throat> I'm going to say the circle of life, right? There's a circle of life and it's real, right? And it started with mom and dad switching up and in baseball games to take care of the sons to get them their education that they need so they can thrive in life as adults. And the circle is now coming to the son taking care of dad in this moment. And I don't know that you'd have it any other way. Um, and I'm certainly smart enough to realize that all families don't function this way. All families aren't positive. All, all, all families don't have this family dynamic like you have. But for the ones that do, you know, where are you as a listener participatory in this circle of life as it evolves for you in your own family? And maybe you can think about that and use some of those story here to maybe inspire you to be more or less active in either way. Um, the other thing that's, that, that I just got to ask, man, because as you've recounted the story with your mom, it seemed to have been... <clears throat> Some of the things that she wasn't completely transparent on with the state of the cancer, I could be wrong on that. Please correct me if I am. And then a little bit of it coming very sudden, meaning her passing. And so I'm just curious, man, and you can reject this question, though, please. Um, are there any regrets, man, at the way that that kind of happened in your life with the loss to your mom? Um, no, good. No, no, no regret because I, I, I thought about that and, um, 
even if I were in Washington, D.C., New York, Florida, um, mom would have still carried it out the way she did. That that gotcha. movie would have that movie would have ended the same way, and here's why. I I feel good about saying this. For one, mom was a strong Christian, and um, her faith. I mean, my mother, my mom's mother, was a strong Christian as well. And when I say strong, what does that mean? You know, I don't like to say religious person. I like to say Christians, like you said. That means <laughs> they read their Bible. They, my grandmother, we called her Cakes. My my mom's mom, her, her nickname was Cakes, and she she lived with us for quite some time. Uh, she had her own place, but she lived with us for quite some time. Um, but she was a member of a Baptist church. Um, we grew up. My my dad. St. Augustine down in Raleigh is affiliated with the Episcopal Church. Um, so we grew up, and my brother and I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and very much like Catholic. Um, and my dad's mom, my other grandmother, was a Seventh-day Adventist. So all the women that I was surrounded by, my mom, my two grandmothers, strong Christian women, Okay. My before my grandmother passed, my dad's mom. She was ninety eight. She mm-hmm. was laying there, no no pain. She just said, "I'm ready to go." Gotcha. I've, I've I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And when you hear those words, you just pray. <laughs> she's ready to go. You know she's going to a better place. Sure. My my grandmother, same thing. She she um, passed from cancer, liver cancer, but there's no doubt in my mind she was ready to go as well. Yeah. And my mom, after reading that note, <laughs> knowing that this, she wrote that note. She typed the note out and, then, and made some handwritten notes on it. She typed that out before July 1st. So yeah. she knew she was sick. She knew where she was going. Um we we my brother and I later found boxes of um eye brands. I know you've probably seen it on T V for, for for the commercial eye brands for breast cancer. Eye brands, eye brands, eye brands. It's a it's a new drug and um it was a it's a they send you a test kit or a, this huge kit. Well my brother and I were going through pictures for the funeral brochure and we were like, Look at this, look at that and we stumbled across this box and it was maybe two or three boxes that my mom had not even opened. Okay. So, yeah, she didn't open it. She didn't even open them because she was, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through what your father has been through. I'm just, I'm ready to go. And so there were, there were no regrets. Um, it was it was just uh it it's good to know that she she was in a better she's in a better place right now and um i i think that um it, it it's just what i've been 
what I've been doing with my dad and with my brother, she did, shout out to all of the moms. They do a ton, <laughs> a ton, um, and, and and just, they're just, they're strong. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine coming home, and, and that's why it's it's difficult for me now, man. You know, my mom worked, she taught school, she came home, cooked, helped us with our homework, or took us to practice, cooked, vice versa, then stayed up to one, two o'clock grading papers. Yeah. Or going back to school. So she has been the matriarch of the family. And it was a, she has always kept us together. My dad, um, just to touch on the relationship that they had, um, my mom was obviously the financer in the family as well. My dad was the breadwinner, but he didn't take care of nothing. He didn't even know his pen number to his ATM card. (laughs) 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 So he would say, you know, hey, I need some money. And she was like, okay, how much you need? And she'd give him a hundred bucks here to go hunting or something. You know, that was his outlet. He would go hunting no sad. She'd give him some money or something like that. And mom always had, you know, she was the, she was the, um, the CEO of the family. <laughs> she ran yeah. everything. She said, okay, dad wants a four-wheeler. Hey, we can't get it this month, but we can do next month. We can do it. Okay, cool. Four-wheeler. You know, I mean, she handled all the finances. She handled all the bills. She had everything. And so now that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm trying to keep up with her, but man, I was just like, holy moly, it's, it's tough. But but I'm doing it, and I'm I'm thankful that um, I it's like the strength that just came over me to to hold it together for my my dad and my brother was it definitely was God and definitely was her spirit man. Yeah. So, uh, so before we move on, man, I just got to ask because you haven't mentioned it yet. Mom and Dad's first names. Yeah, you ready for this? <laughs> Um, Stanley Harrison and Hartense Harrison. Love it. Stanley, Stanley and Hartense. Yep. Beautiful, man. Um, yeah. Dad, dad named me, dad named me real quick. Dad named me after some big dude in his class, a Puerto Rican guy. He liked the name Ramondo and gave it to me. And I took his middle name, Eugene. Uh, but Jason got obviously MJ. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. I love it, man. Uh, and just names are important. And so just wanted to make sure we're shouting out your parents in this moment. And, and, and here's my takeaway, right? And I want you to grade me out to see if I'm accurate here. We're on high performance pathways and, and we're talking about how do we perform at high levels in our life and, and, and all different cases and circumstances on this show. Today, we happen to be focused on the loss of a parent, your mom, in this case. And what I'm hearing from you, and I heard it most kind of this last sharing out, is that your faith in God was what allowed you to perform at a high level through that loss. Because even in the loss of life, you were encouraged that because of your mom's strong faith and relationship with God, that 
she's not here with you walking the earth anymore, but you know she's in heaven making it happen. Am I right, man, Ramondo, on that, man, that, that your faith you is what pulls you through that? Absolutely, 100%, brother, 100%. It, uh, and, and, that, and that's, that's it's almost, I'm glad I can talk to you about it because you understand, but today, in today's times, um, we shouldn't be apprehensive about talking about our faith and having, you know, hey, where do you get your willpower and all your strength from? God. <laughs> God. So, no, you nailed it right on the head. I mean, that if I hadn't, I don't know where I would be. You know, I used to hear my mom uh, talking to say, you know, people just don't, they don't have Jesus in their lives. And, uh, you know, I, I heard that from three different women, both of my grandmothers and my mom. So, and they were all strong women. And my aunts as well, just very strong yeah. women. Um, so, yes, absolutely. You, you nailed it on the head. It's a big part of my life growing up. And it's definitely, like you said, it, it, it comes back full circle. It's definitely a, a huge part now. Yeah. I got I to share in this moment one of my fears. One of my biggest fears, because you've inspired me in this moment to share this. And that is that I lose one of my parents, Skip and Diane Whitman, are my parents' uh, first names, respectively. One of my biggest fears is that I lose one of my parents and without having an opportunity to say everything that I want to say to them. And as I listened to your story, in the back of my mind, I, I, I kept having this feeling that, hey, man, it's, did something go unsaid for Doe with, with his mom in this moment? And I don't know that answer, right? Right. Um, but that's a, that scares the shit out of me. And, and I'm thinking about right now about my parents that are they're, they're self-quarantined in their homes still to this day because they're scared to death of COVID, man. Like my dad and right. mom, they're in their late 60s. And my dad has uh, you know, AFib and he's high risk because of his heart. My mom is incredibly healthy, but th th they're going to stay united in the decisions that they make. But I'm thinking to myself, if my parents were on a respirator right now, I don't know they'd survive it. And have I said everything that I need to say to them? And so, you know, uh, what, I, what, I, what I'm bringing up in this moment for the listener is don't let things go unsaid in your life. I'm challenging you in this moment, if there's something that needs to happen, if there's a conversation that needs to happen, if it might not just be the parents, maybe it's a, a spouse that, that, that you're living with. Maybe it's an, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's a brother, a sibling. Heck, I don't know. The list goes long, y'all. Mm -hmm. And this, though, I'm not projecting this to be your story. This is my story in this moment. Don't. Right let someone leave this life without you having the conversation that you need to have with them because it scares the heck out of me and listening to your story has inspired me in my life to make sure i'm having those conversations so yes that that's 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 well well said and i'm glad that um for the listener and for yourself court that um you picked that out of the story because um, it, it's it it, it wasn't um, 
I knew that my mom once I once I went back that second time going home and my brother texted me and he, he, he informed me she had passed. I knew where she was going. I did. Um, my dad didn't. Okay, my dad did not, and um, it was. And I don't think my my my. I think brother had come to terms with it as well. He 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 has matured, and um, you know, being a father of his own three boys and his daughter, my brother has you know matured in just experiencing life on his own and being a father I think that he had come to terms with it as well but he also wasn't ready for it because he was, I didn't say this he was closer to my mother so he was the mama's boy I was the dad's boy mm-hmm. okay um, my my my. I think I touched on it when I said I come home, you know my mom doesn't cook we go out to dinner but when Jason comes home, he's the baby. Oh, feast, <laughs> Thanksgiving feast, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, Thanksgiving feast, dude. But um, it was, it was, like I said, there were, there were, there were um, no regrets. Um, you know, I stayed in, because cause when you, when, for me and my family, family, obviously family is huge, and reason why, um, I've performed and at the highest I can because it came from my family. But when you are a tight, close family like we are, there, there's somewhat in a way there are no last words. You know, it, it's the experiences yeah. that we shared. You know, and I and I and I hear and I know you're not talking about you're talking about yourself. And I'm thinking I'm reflecting. It makes me feel good to know that hey. Yes, I said everything. I knew my mom loved you know my mom loved me. I think um, Tony Robbins asked questions, and I, I I used to watch him the seminars, and he, and one of the first questions he asked was, "Whose love did you crave more, your mother or your father's?" And I said, if he were to ask me that, I would say neither. <laughs> I knew for a fact that my mom loved me, and I know for a fact. My dad still loves me. Equally, <laughs> oh, they they might have favorites, okay? That you know, but it's I knew both of my parents loved my brother and I, and definitely loved my nephews. I mean, when my brother made them um, a grandparents, oh my gosh, that was just. What the hell Ramona's doing at home? You know, we're the grandkids. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it for for me, I can we have tons of VHS tapes where we go back in pictures and we remember the memories as a family. Uh, whether it was traveling to Florida, whether it was, you know, baseball games and family gatherings and that's just unheard of today, man. And and so for the other listener I will say is to, to add to your point is to just Go be with. Go see your family. Um, go see your family member. Oh, go see your friend. Like you said, it could be a friend, it could be a cousin, it could be your parents, but you only get one. <laughs> That's it. Friends come and go, people come in and out of your life, but you only get one mother, one father, one brother, one sister. That's it. So enjoy and cherish that time. Yeah, man. No doubt. Well said. Call to action there. 
Bado. Um, thanks for that, man. Let's, uh, let's move through this conversation, um, which has been incredible. And let's return to um, your professional adult life in this moment, if we could. And I mean, there's been some incredible gifts that you've given the listener in the time that you shared uh, your life experience to date so far. But a lot of folks will also turn into the show to get some insight professionally when it comes to leadership, management, and how you may approach some of those things. And so I just want to touch on again uh, how you've excelled uh, in the construction field and professionally in a number of different ways across a very diverse um, number of industries. Uh, and I'm just going to list here, right, some of this you've talked about, but earlier days as, as a consultant, then you worked for Naval Facilities Engineering Command in D.C. You worked with USPS. You worked retail with GAP, Banana Republic, Old Navy, then PetSmart. Um, then now where you're at uh, in the tech industry with Intel. And as I understand it, you've, you've managed a number of folks and you've been managed. And so I'm just curious, man, when you think about what a high performing manager would look like, and this could even extend into coaching, because uh, I think the, the way in which someone coaches, and we're talking sport coach, and the way in which someone manages it's very similar in my opinion because there's a there's some sort of a goal as a coach you need to meet for the people that you're coaching and as a manager there's goals that are present in the work that you do so i think you're really well qualified to share some thoughts on this question my friend and here it is um what are some of the top habits of a high performing manager that you yourself do or that you've been exposed to through just your professional adult work life? Mm. I, I would say the, what, what's, what pops out to me as you started with the question, what, what absolutely pops out to me is, um, using your God-given two ears and listen. And that is any great leader, whether they're the president, whether they are your coach, college coach, professional coach, um, or construction manager, or manager at work. Nine times out of ten, if you were to ask a 20-year-old a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, hey, who was the best manager you've had? They'll say, you know, this person. Well, why? Well, I promise you they will say because he or she listened to what it, I had to say. They listened, <laughs> and, and that is, even at VMI, you know, that was ingrained in us. You know, our, as, as leaders, you, you know, you had to be quiet and listen. Yeah. And I was I was taught that, you know, my when my dad talked, I was not talking. <laughs> I was listening and I better not talk back. So it was I think listening you know, we, we live in a world today where we want everything fast. You know, we, we text, we 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 don't use encyclopedias anymore. We we just want information fast and we don't want to hear what the other person has to say. And so I would say that in, for me, in my career, 
um, listening on both sides. And when I say both sides, I mean as a young project construction manager and as a leader managing me, the best managers were the best leaders and the best managers were the ones that listened. And I was able to talk about anything to he or she. Um, and I was very fortunate, and that's why I kind of chased those different paths in my career, because um, I didn't want to become stagnant in one area. Um, so to touch on, just to touch on, talk a little bit about my career, um, in after 9-11, I worked for a consulting firm. After 9-11, I was, you know, I was going to be that nerd. I was going to be that, um, that, I was wearing a shirt. and t- You remember Taylor? You remember Brent? BT? <laughs> yeah, BT man. was in your class. Yeah, BT was in your class. So I, I lived with BT coming out of um, the I, because BT was in North Virginia, and he was living in Herndon. And um, I didn't know a soul up there. But I knew that my the office I was uh, working at was right around the corner from Brent. I saw said, Brent, can I stay with you for a couple of months till I, you know, find a place? And so that's what I did. And so I found I worked for a consulting firm up there, and uh, I later moved to the city. BT stayed out in the burbs with his now wife. Um, but 9/11 hit, and most of our work came from the city, mm-hmm. the city of. Um, of um, Virginia and so they all projects went to a season at that time I was doing I was wearing like I said shirt and tie and I was doing engineering you know good old CAD AutoCAD microstation drawings a drawing board looking at plans going on the field just a little bit but coming back and being in front of the computer and it probably was the best thing to happen for my career was I said all right it's time to jump ship and I had a I had a mentor there I had a mentor there I met. Um, his name was Mike Powers. And um, we later, to this day, um, he's like my white father. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's sort of like uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I have a black dad and I, got a, I have a white dad. And, um, you know, Mike was, he kind of took me under his belt um, at Parsons Brinkerhoff out at Herndon, and uh, he said, get out of here. Best thing he said, if there's another VMI guy recruiting other VMI uh, soldiers, go. And I went, and that's when I worked for the Naval Facilities Engineering Command in, in the Navy Yard, and um, that's when I first was introduced to construction management. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome because I could apply everything I learned in school. I could apply everything that I learned at the consulting firm with the short period to construction, I could see it being done in the field. And so I was um, early in my career, and it was ideal because my my manager was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He was called a ROIC. I don't know if you've heard of that before, resident officer in charge of construction. And um, his name was Brian Moore, and uh, we still stay in touch today, We've become good friends we golf uh, whenever we can um, back in when, I, when I'm back there. But the point I'm trying to make is is that he was an awesome manager. 
Um, and it kind of, it was kind of great because he was a officer himself, and I was used to reporting to officers at VMI, uh, you know, at VMI. So it was, he created an atmosphere. We worked another trailer at DIA, at uh, Defense Agency, and, um, Right in D.C. and uh, we worked out of a trailer, man. It was a small group of small team, but we all worked together. And uh, he made it so where I could talk to him about anything. Um, And it it was and 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 he, I think the second point, the the in addition to being a great leader, so I saw him as a leader in uniform, okay. And he had to report up to a rear admiral, all right, mm-hmm. at DIA. Um, um, and in construction, we have scope, schedule, budget, okay? That's what we have to track, scope, schedule, and budget. Don't go over budget. Don't go, don't, don't, do not experience any scope creep, and don't blow our budget. And at times... We did. There are unforeseen conditions, okay, in construction. You know, you may have put up your your son's batting cage in the backyard and didn't know it was soft back there. So you had to go get some sand, some some aggregate, some rocks or something. You didn't know it was uh, some tree limbs back there, so you had to cut them down. There are some unforeseen conditions, and that costs money. And one thing that I learned from this manager was he marched right over there, and he didn't lie. He didn't beat around the bush. He just told them, listen, we're going to be delayed another two weeks because we have this unforeseen condition, and it's going to cost this much. Um, we have expedited the material. Um, we've done our legwork. Here's the solution. Can I have your approval? And so a couple of things there. He had, we identified the problem. We did our legwork on our end to go ahead and order the materials um, and expedite the materials here because we know we're behind. We know we're late. We know that we're going to um, – it's going to cost some additional money. But guess what? We have 10% in contingency in our pot that we can use that we put in the project beforehand. So we were prepared to speak to that to our – executive manager, who was his rear admiral. So I learned how to speak up and talk up. And as you know, you've been in the military. It's, it's just straightforward. <laughs> it, it, it's straightforward. And a lot of people do not, they don't, they're not around that to, to experience and see it. And I was fortunate to experience that early in my career. Um, so the communication skills, I would say, are key. Um, so one, listening. Two, you have to be able to communicate effectively. And that's not beating around the bush. That's not delaying the, the conversation. That's just telling, boom, how it is. This is what you're doing wrong. <laughs> you're gripping the bat wrong, son. You don't grip the bat with just three fingers. You grip the bat with all five fingers. Now you can keep you know, your thumb off the bat and just to loosen up just keep, stay, keep keep your grip loose. But when that pitcher is beginning to wind, you're naturally going to – your hands are going to grip the bat as you swing. That's what I'm talking about so that your son understands. So um, 
that was a really good, that was probably one of my favorite jobs um, because he uh, had built a dynamic team there. And um, I, that project ended and um, everyone dispersed. He was out of the Navy. He went and worked for another consultant. Another guy went here. And then I had to go, and that's when I found my job with the Postal Service, Office of Inspector General. And um, at that time, when I worked with the Navy, I was doing base build construction. For, for the listeners and yourself, base build means ground up, okay, start from scratch. And that's the best type of construction <laughs> that you want to work on, okay, because you do not have to deal with any – you're not in somebody else's backyard, Sure. All right. It's 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 you're you're starting from ground up. So if you come across uh unforeseen condition on the ground or something, you can just deal with it with the inspector and go from there. But when I worked for the Postal Service Office of Inspector General, um they were very impressed with um my experience and but now I'm doing office renovations. And so I traveled a lot. I was in the air a lot, um, <laughs> at least two or three times a month. And that helped me get over my fear of flying. My mom uh, was afraid to fly. <laughs> if there's anything that I took uh, from her, it was that. But I said, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I took the job. I said, I have to fly a lot? I said, oh, yeah. I said, done. And so um, I traveled to I was able. I was fortunate to see um, a lot of cities. I, I worked on the post office in downtown Chicago. I worked on one in uh, Indiana, and, um, Indianapolis, um, Hammond, Indiana. Court, I'm sorry. You still it's there? okay. It's okay, you're back. Okay. Um, So um, I I traveled quite a bit. And uh, one of the things that uh, I would say I had to do is is, um, control my schedule. Sure. It, It was, I had to, I was in control of my schedule now, so I could create it. And I set my, um, my pre-construction meetings myself, I went and I was on my own. They just said, hey, how? what's your budget? What budget do you need? Here, go get it done. And let me know when it's going to be completed. That was it. And I did that for seven years. Um, so it, that, was, that was good because, like I said, I was working on base build construction, and now I'm doing office renovations. Um, so I'm diversifying my construction background. Um, And I took the skills that I learned with the Navy of communication and um, the leadership and reporting back up with me as a consultant for the Office of Inspector General. And they loved it. I was one of their best PMs out of that. There were some former postal guys that had worked there, but I was one of the best PMs there. And they gave me, always gave me the most challenging project, whether it was in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York. I always had the challenging one. And I was up for the challenge. And that's one thing that I would say 
for the listeners, um, uh, and it might be another pillow. If if a leader, I feel, should always be open and up for the challenge. Um, you're you're not going to, you know, your manager. When I was managed, they came to me. They came to me, and and you want to be that go-to guy or girl. You always want to be up and open. Yeah, hey, be the first to read. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't care if it's taking out a, I don't care if it's taking out the trash. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah. that guy that 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 guy is energetic, you know. I'm I'm going to remember him next time. Uh I have to you know, I need somebody to go across the town and deliver the drawings or or do, do that. Be you know, like like my white father said, be the first one in the office and the last one to leave the office when you're starting out early in your career. And cuz you're going to learn. And so that's what I was. I was I was always trying to be that Johnny on the spot early in my career. Um, so I, I to answer your question, I, I I hope I I you know and I and I later took those things and I advanced my career up until now. Um, um, it's being being uh, communicating. Um, communication is key. Listening is key. And I've had some bad managers along the way who did not do those things, but I had to up and ma- I had to manage them. You know what I mean? But, yes. and, and you've always, you know, you always have a, a bad officer that you report to and, you know, you see when, whenever you have those, you know, Hey, that's good too, because it, it teaches you how to work through um, that, that time and just continue, you know, you just continue to be in court. You continue to be a Ramondo doing your job up and beyond if he or she is yelling at you, um, it's it's not going to last long. So, um, but it teaches you resilience. It teaches you how to not take things personal, and um, I, it just made me a better manager. Um, and uh, I think later after the after the um, office of inspector general position, I worked there for seven years, and. After that job, that's when I said, okay, I have base build, I have um, renovation experience, but the government had shut down, okay? The government had shut down. Court, let me say that again. The government shut down during my time when I was at the Office of Inspector General. So... That was a time where I said, whoa, the government shut down? That's supposed to be the most secure job that you can, you can have. So I said, <laughs> you know, I said, I said, what, what's, what's going on? Oh, you know, President Obama and, and, and House Rep, you know, they were going at it. They shut the government down. And the government workers and everybody, man, was just like, whoa. So I said, you know what? It's time to jump ship. I wanted yeah. to work in a different industry. And as you know, um, Jabbar Bean and – Andre Thornton, they both were working at um, Lockheed Martin and mm-hmm. Home Depot, and Jabbar's still at Home Depot. Yeah. And Dre Dre was at Lockheed for years. Years. And I said, you know what? I want to work for a company. So this this goes back to who you surround yourself with, and we've been fortunate to be surrounded by guys. Um, that are just, you know, exceeding and, and, and constantly improving and doing better. And so I said, you know what, I want to go work for a company. I'm, 
okay, I did this, I did that, but now let's settle in. And um, that's when I I took two steps back at the time with my girlfriend. I said, all right, I'm quitting, but I'm going to take this job with The Gap as a part-time construction manager just to get my foot into retail mm-hmm. construction. And sometimes you have to do that. Even though I was well qualified for the positions I was interviewing for, Court, um, I wasn't receiving the jobs in D.C. and I wasn't getting this position. And I said, you know what? I interviewed for a job in New York. I didn't get it. But the guy who I interviewed with in Philly, he said, listen, I'll get your foot in the door. And he hired me. And that opened up doors for me when my girlfriend and I at the time, we moved to Phoenix and I worked at, I applied at PetSmart and boom. That's when I was on the map. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that took me, I had to take a step back. I took a pay cut. Um, and, um, but I was working at PetSmart. And now my LinkedIn profile just went from 500 connections to 1,000. Mm. Okay. And um, I had worked diligently in D.C. on my LinkedIn profile. Um so one of the things that I did to set myself apart was I built a website um, mm-hmm. for my portfolio. And um, so just in addition to, hey, here's my resume, no, check out my portfolio because it has pictures of all of the projects that I've worked on throughout my career in Washington, D.C. for the Navy and the Postal Service. Um, so to speak about high performance, I knew but in the D.C. area, it was very competitive. Yeah. And so I had to set – I had to do something. <laughs> I wasn't just going to sit back. I mean, it was tough. I was looking for a job. My girlfriend was looking for a job. and But I was still working at The Gap. And I was, you know – but The Gap opened that door for PetSmart. And then I had built my LinkedIn profile. I tightened up on my LinkedIn profile so much until I, I got a um, – I received an email through LinkedIn from my intern recruiter, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, "What?" I wrote, I I wrote LinkedIn off, man. I said, "This this crap doesn't work." I was like, "Man, I can't get no job." And my girlfriend, she at the time she was in HR, and she was like, "I'm telling you, I would do all my recruiting in LinkedIn." I was like, "That's that's BS." I was like, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, <laughs> and then boom, it worked, and so here I am now, and um, I'm still. At Intel, um, Intel has just been – Intel is very much like VMI, very much like the military. As a matter of fact, they have former some former military um, people working there. But we have the after-action review. The factory shuts down. We have after-action reviews. We have problem statements. We have a plan of attack. We have when we're going – we have a schedule – I mean, it is it, – it, it's funny how you say every life circles back full circle because that's exactly how I feel um, Intel is. And so I, I was at home. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is lovely. This is awesome, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, working with, I'm working with a bunch of extremely smart people, but we are acting just like we – there's a – we're acting just like we're in the military. And um, that kind of – it was good. It came at a good point in my life because I was able to use that and kind of 
that's when Commando um, <laughs> Commando came to life because you know just of the the discipline I was brought up with, and then now intel and the military, and then my I started helping my family. They started during this time my early career in intel. They started calling me for direction. Mm. You know, my mom would call me for direction. Hey, Ramonda, you know, I got this. And, um, it, you know, this is what the lawyer is saying. And I'm trying to help your brother out with his divorce. I said, Mom, don't worry. I'll come. I'll fly back home. I con- I made some contacts, some calls to my friends. I, I, I have a girl. He needed a, he needed a female lawyer to represent him. I said, hey, contact this lady. She's awesome. So my family members and my friends started to, especially my mom and dad and my brother, they started to use me for advice. Sure. <laughs> and whereas they, they didn't do that before, you know, so that, that made me feel good that they did respect, you know, the path that I took. Yeah. Um, and they may not have liked what I had to say, but that's why they call me commando. <laughs> 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 well, look, man, um, what an incredible reflection on, you know, management that you've been exposed to and managerial styles that you've embraced to be successful and perform at a high level. And then you even took it a step further and walked through some of the gates that you've walked through in your career and, and talked about some things that you've done deliberately that's helped you continue to ascend and, and kind of get the jobs and opportunities that you were shooting for. And so j- just to brief back what I heard uh, at a very high level from, from, from Doe here, when he talks about habits of high-performing managers, I've got a list of seven. Number one, listen. Because when you listen, it leads to the number two thing here, which is it allows you to be an approachable manager. And when you can be an approachable because you listen well, I think that you can build really strong relationships in the workplace. Uh, Number three here was give the truth. As you reflected on that manager, you watched when he wasn't able to meet scope, schedule, and budget in that one particular case. Um, Be truthful, be transparent, be candid. Those are the three words that I shared that I wrote down when you talked about the ability to communicate effectively as a manager. The sixth thing I've heard here was that always be up for the next challenge. And and you're encouraging managers that you work for and individual contributors, as I heard this, always be open to do the things when people are asking for, hey, we got something that just came down the pipe. Who wants it, right? Uh, Be up for that challenge. And then finally, what I heard from you here, habits of high-performing managers, they're structured. And structured works really well for you. And what I'm going to say here, and I'll forever dub, maybe moving forward, is go commando. Go commando like Doe has in these structured environments that he found himself in, if that works for you. So, hey, man, how'd I do? I'm, I'm, I'm briefing you back on what I heard from, from managers and hyperpermanent managers. I get it right? I, I, you nailed it again, man. You nailed it again. I, I didn't, I didn't, you definitely picked out the key gates 
and um, absolutely, you you nailed it again, man. There, <laughs> right, that man. that is that that you nailed it on the head, and um, yeah, it's that's a great way to put it. Um, and, and you know, I, I would also add that I think I, we don't say it. You may not say it. I don't say it. But one thing that I hear towards the end of my career, like in Intel, and also as I become a realtor, is accountability. Now, I didn't add and say that as one of the pillows as a, a leader, and that simply the reason why is because it's who we are, <laughs> okay? And I just don't take – I take it for granted. Um, but I, as I hear, um, you know, some of the companies, other companies' um, code of ethics be accountable, I'm like, wow, do, do – do we still have to teach people how to be accountable? And everybody has was not didn't go to a school like we went to, or, or everybody wasn't raised like we were. And yeah. you know, went even if they were accountable. Hey, you're going to church on Sunday morning. Okay, boom, <laughs> go. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just take that for granted. So if I didn't say that, but listeners, accountability is also huge. And, Absolutely. And it's not just accountable for your for other folks. You get you gotta hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And I think it's hard. And I think it absolutely is hard because everyone comes from a different walk of life. Um, everyone has different experiences. And so absolutely a call out here to hold yourself accountable um, to the behavioral norms that you expect as a person walking this life. But I would say what's even more important for a manager to perform at a high level is you have to be able to hold others accountable and so this call out to accountability i think is is critically important so hey man right. i appreciate you sharing uh was really helpful for the listener and bro i think that's a wrap man i think that's a wrap on the show uh last question brother is is really what's next for you man well I, as i touched on um i'm, I'm just excited for the blessings to come court uh, is it's i have so much faith that everything is just going smoothly i'm i'm currently um i'm a realtor now in addition to a construction manager at intel i'm a realtor um here in arizona and i'm also working on my realtor license in virginia um so that i can work with one of my best friends who is a broker in virginia beach when i'm home with my dad and um, just just spend more time. My goal is to spend more time with my father hunting. Uh, come October, I'm bow hunting with him. <laughs> uh, and spending time with him Thanksgiving on the holidays and g getting to spend more time with him and yeah. my nephews. My, uh, and uh, that's it. And seeing friends after this COVID stuff, man, yeah, man. I want to come see you <laughs> just just to interact with people. <laughs> yeah, man. No doubt, brother. I love it. I want to wish you the best of luck. Uh, you inspired me, absolutely, and kind of your constant chasing of just whatever's next, man, and then your service to your family. So, hey, man, I appreciate it. I want to invite you to kind of close out the show with the only way we know how to do it here, which is with the High Performance Breakdown and that is my invite for you to give us three claps and then speak the words, boom, shakalaka. So I'm going to say break down on three, 
I'm going to count one, right. two, three, and that's for you, man, to break us on down. You got it? All right. Let's do it. All right, brother. Breaking us out here, my close friend, Doe Harrison, VMI brother. Um, hey, man, break down on three, brother. One, two, three. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> yeah, man. See, I love it. There's no way you can do that without smiling or laughing. Hey, we yes, appreciate sir. you being here, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for, for having time. me. No doubt, man. Thank for everybody you. listening to, to find uh, Ramondo, you can find him on LinkedIn, simply listed as Ramondo Harrison. He talked about how much time he spent building that profile out. Hey, y'all go see it, man. Um, and that's spelled R-O-M-A-N-D-O, Harrison, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. Now get out there, everyone. Consider what Ramondo shared today. It's inspired me. Allow it to inspire you and chase our performance in your life. We'll talk to y'all next week. Be good.